if you want a journal, I know Michael's passing them out. Um, so you could just take one if you need a pen. Do we use those things anywhere? Anyways, uh, yeah, but if you need one, well, I think we have some in the back, right? So if you, you can go up and get it. But man, so good to worship together with you all. Um, I'm already excited. We're already talking about Christmas and choir, and you go to the malls, and already the Christmas decor is out. It's telling you to get shopping, right? Now, we've already skipped Thanksgiving, and it's already Christmas. And um, baby, today here at church, as we go through um, John 1, it'll feel like a Christmas story, the incarnation of Christ, right? That thought. And so we're um, excited about this, you know, and I don't know if you... Um, kind of an opening thought, but I don't know if you know of anyone that's famous, like you're related to someone, you went to school with someone, your neighbor is someone famous, they're on TV, they're this and that. Um, it's kind of interesting, right, when you know someone who is so famous, because uh, you get to see them in the flesh, you get to see them as real people. Um, over the years, I've met people who are famous, um, and I used to be so intrigued with athletes and musicians and so on, but the most the most impressive person I've met now is a theologian, right? So it's uh, Dr. J.I. Packer. He wrote Knowing God and many, many other books. Um, and I was so excited during my first sabbatical, I went to Regent College. He was teaching a summer class on 1 Corinthians. So I signed up to audit the class, and I was so excited to hear from him in person. He was in his 90s at this time, and uh, he's going to be teaching this class for two weeks. So I signed up. And I was there, and I got to class early, and I was excited to meet him. And the class size was about this big or so. And I'm there waiting. And I, and I see him. He finally walks into the room. And there's kind of this hush. And all eyes are on him. And my, I was kind of excited. I was like a teenager at a BTS concert. I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, that's, um, and I was like, oh, that's Dr. Packer. And he walks in. And I was observing the way he walked, the pace of his walk, what he was wearing, what kind of bag he was carrying his books in, and uh, the way he would pray, and I was like, oh, wow, you know, and uh, took a selfie with him after and talked to him. During the two weeks, I talked to him quite a bit, asked him questions, had to rehearse the question before I went to him so I didn't sound dumb. You know, I, we do that. Okay, does this sound okay? This is a legitimate question um, that'll make me not look so bad, and you know, I was trying to talk to him and really humble. And so, uh, um, wow, to know him in the flesh, though, was quite different. Very different than seeing him on the screen or just reading his books. I got to hear his voice. I got to talk to him. I got to shake his hand, take pictures with him. Um, you know, him sharing anecdotes about his life. And it was a connection. And really, that's what John 1 is starting for us. God arrives in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And this is a big introduction. So if God was someone we might have known from afar, where Moses wanted to see God and said, if you see me in my glory, you would die. And he shows him just the backside while he's hiding in the cleft. If God is that way and we want to see him and we get to now see him in the flesh, we get to now touch and hear. And this is Jesus Christ. You think about this, you know, uh, the Gospel of John is written by John the disciple, the um, brother of James, the son of Zebedee, nickname was Son of Thunder. Uh, he was, uh, had a fishing business. He was the inner three. Him, James, and Peter were the inner three often. 
And John, when he writes John, uh, the Gospel of John, he refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. He doesn't refer to himself by name, but he refers to himself as he writes this about the disciple who, uh, the disciple who Jesus loved. And so the church has given him the nickname over the centuries of John the Beloved. He's the one he's loved. Think about this now. John was so changed by being loved by Jesus. For three years he's with him, and he, he experiences the love and the acceptance and the grace so much that he writes about it. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptics. They're similar. They have similar passages, similar stories. John is different. It's almost like he wanted to write a biography from a different perspective as one who's been loved so much. And, you know, when you get down to studying the, the writers and you see that John had his disciple, the most famous of John's disciple was a man named Polycarp. Polycarp is famous for being martyred in his late age. Polycarp's disciples, Irenaeus and others, have written about John. John walked with Jesus. John recorded these words. He was an eyewitness to this. Now think about that. Think of how neat that is. Right? That Jesus talked to John. He, he's so changed by this love. And some of us have experienced that. Where someone is so kind to us, so good to us. A student that's not performing that well meets a teacher. It changes her trajectory. Or, or a student meets a coach. And the coach you know, helps him so much he now becomes a better athlete and a better man or better woman. And so he's so changed. He tells it to Polycarp. Polycarp now tells his disciples. And the disciples now pass it down. And we have it here. It's about the love that Jesus has for us. And we come today, we read the same words. We experience the same love that John had written about. And what a thought that is. You know, it's interesting. Today we're going to look at this, the, the coming of Christ. He's referred to as the Logos, right? Um, this idea of the word, Logos, the word. And we're going to look at that and then we'll see five somewhat practical implications of the incarnation of Christ. Now this is a big theological topic, the incarnation of Christ. It sounds like it belongs at a seminary class. But really, this is something that changes everything in our faith. It changes everything in our lives. It affects our lives deeply. And so we want to uh, get to that. It's interesting, you know, John, at the end of it, in chapter 20, verse 30, 31, he tells us why he wrote this. First of all, this is a little background. He writes this, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, in verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. So the whole purpose, he says, he's written all these words, so that you might now believe, and by believing in Jesus, you might have life. This is a matter of life or death. This is not just a little improvement in life. This is not just choosing a philosophy of how to live. This isn't just getting a little bit of prosperity from God or a little favor or some morals. This is written about life. I've been to the emergency room many times for my own kids, for myself, for my parents, my in-laws, for church people, and I've gotten calls to visit. Usually we go to the ER um, and what the experience we want is this. You want to go, you want to be seen, 
and then you want to walk away with some kind of a remedy saying, your life will be fine, basically. Take these antibiotics, take this medication, or we'll do this procedure and you'll be fine. And we want to walk away from that place having some assurance that life will go on, life will be okay. And this is the ultimate form of that. When we're coming to Jesus, he's come to give us life. So it's not just morals, it's not just be a little bit better, but it's about life. And I've been to the ER, I've been in hospital rooms where the doctors have said, there's nothing else we can do. You say, well, if you can't do it, where do I go? And this is where it starts. So he comes to us in this way. Just a little background on this title of Jesus called the Word. Right? You look at verse 1, 2, and 3. This is a description of the Word. It's, first of all, it starts with, in the beginning. And any Jewish reader would read that and say, oh, that's the same as Genesis 1.1. That's taking us back to the beginning when God was there before man was there. And here it starts with, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos. The Word was with God, the Word was God. It tells us Jesus was eternal. It tells us Jesus is God and was God. And yet Jesus is distinct from God the Father. This is the concept of the Trinity, the teaching of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Distinct. And you might say, I can't, that doesn't logically make sense in my mind. There's a lot of things that don't make sense. If we in our little minds could grasp the big, the greatness of God, and we say, oh, that makes perfect sense in my mind, he wouldn't be so great. But God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons that make up one God. And this is the orthodox teaching of the church, that he was there, and it starts in this way. So he's given this title, just this background, and then we'll jump into the uh, implications, but he's given this title, the Word. And we have to ask, why isn't he given the Messiah, but he's John decides to use the word, logos. There's a couple of reasons. Number one is for the Greeks. When the Greeks would read this, the Greeks had a concept of the force, kind of a universal force or universal intelligence, an impersonal force. And really the concept that's uh, borrowed by Star Wars, right? May the force be with you. It's an impersonal force. Some people use uh, the term, uh, you know, the force, or they even talk about, hey, you know, karma, like there's some universal kind of impersonal guiding force out there. And so the Greeks had this concept of the logos, that there is some kind of the logos is out there, it kind of controls us. Well, he's saying, well, it's not impersonal, it's not just something that's out there, it's actually in Jesus Christ. So that's John's argument. Secondly, for the Jew. And I just want to stay with me here. It's getting a little technical, but the Jew, they took the word, and the word represented the person. So the king would give an edict, and you know the, the messenger would come and say, thus says the king, this is now the law. Even though it's a piece of paper and someone else is reading it, the word represented the king, the authority of the king. And so when the word is here, for the Jewish listener, they're saying, Oh, this is the, the intent, the thought, the communication. This is really God, but it's now in the form of a man. So he's arrived. 
And no longer is it something impersonal. No longer is it just the word, but it's the human flesh. Jesus Christ is here with us. And now he is introduced. And these are the five, and we're going to run through this, the five practical implications of this incarnation of Christ. And before you say, oh gosh, this is so, so, you know, so many big words and so many things. But this is, really changes everything for us, right? And I want to run word is the great creator, right? And you could jot that down if you're doing the journal. He's the creator of all things. Therefore, he is worthy of our trust. Think about this. He's the creator. He's worthy of our trust. Simply by saying someone created something usually means they know it inside out. If you've ever met someone that's invented something that's made something maybe someone at your work has a patent on some, something and they know the ins and outs because they created it they helped make it who what did he create he created you and me and everything that means he knows us it tells us uh, verse three all things were made through him and without him not anything made that was made was not anything made that was made right so all things were made through him uh, colossians 1 16 it says something similar for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him it's interesting it's telling us that he's the creator he's not a creation Uh, the jehovah's witness in their translation the new world translation they insert certain words that's not there in the original language. And in Colossians 1.16, where it says in the original language, all things were created through him, they insert the word other. All other things were created. What he's saying is, well, he's created as well, but he, once he was created, he made everything else. And they lower the value of Christ in this way. He's the one that did this. You know, I, uh, several years back, I had a chance to present something at a conference at Biola. And it was kind of a, it was just a kind of a scholarly group. It wasn't um, lay people or even pastors. These are all uh, scholars there. And so I had to give a 20-minute talk at a breakout session and putting stuff together. Um, during that time, I, I remember I had read something from, uh, like his name. So I said, I'll quote him. That'll be great. If I could quote him, the scholars will say, oh, wow, ooh, you know, he's quoting someone. Um, you know, he's not quoting so, you know, he's calling someone respectable. So I had it all quoted, and I was ready to go. And as I'm coming up on stage, I look to my right, and there is sitting Nicholas Walterstorff in my session. He's sitting there. And I was like, is that Nicholas Walterstorff? Like, That's Nicholas Walterstorff. I took the book. I see his picture in the back. That's him. I'm like, what is he doing in my session? How am I going to quote him? What if he says, hey, 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 that's not what I meant, buddy. And you pronounced my name all wrong, by the way. I said, I think I'll just cross out that whole section there. Um, he's sitting right here. Well, if you get to know someone that's made it, you say, well, they know the ins and outs. Moms of toddlers, those of you on the sofas back there trying to figure things out, you know. You know your child. Sharon knew our children. She kind of made them, right? They were born. And she would tell them things like, oh, you need to go to sleep. You're sleepy now. No, I'm not. You know, the, the little rebellious, no, I'm not. I'm not sleepy. You know, I just want to, you know, break everything. No, you're sleepy. Close your eyes and within a minute, knocked out, right? Or the mom would say to a little toddler, hey, before we get on the road, you need to go pee. I don't have to, right? I don't have to. The mom and dad know better. Yes, you do. You need to go. 
Let's go try. Fine, but I don't have to. And then this waterfalls. They're like, oh. Or if you listen to them, two minutes in, I got to go to the bathroom, you know, pull over. They know better. Someone who's made something, they know the ins and outs of it. Now think about this. He made us. He made the world. So he is trustworthy. It is important to trust not anyone or not just to trust with passion, but to trust the trustworthy person. Some of us, we say, boy, it's all about our motives and how we do it. No, does he know better? Not only that. Secondly, the word here comes, and this is a big implication. He's called the life. He comes to give us life. So verse 4, in him was life. The life was a life who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Right? So he's telling us it's not by what you did, or not what, what your grant, who you're related to. Um, it's by God, and you've been given this life. This uh, picture of the life and the light is used over and over in the Gospel of John to describe God. Um, you know, yesterday I, I was getting my, uh, you know, teeth cleaned and uh, worked on yesterday. And uh, with, our, with our dear, you know, sister, our, was our, no, my dentist now, right? And I got to go and, um, you know, it was the coolest experience because, first of all, I get there and says, oh, you want to watch a TV show? Sure, why not? And there's a big TV and I was watching that. They said, what do you want to watch on Netflix? I said, anything with like animals. I said, I'll watch that. So there's planet Earth. Turned it on. So I'm watching it. Here's noise-canceling headphones. I'm wearing that. So I'm actually very comfortable. It feels like a first-class airplane seat. The TV's nice. I'm sitting there. And then they laid me back to now do the work. And in amazement, there's another TV screen on the ceiling. So now I'm watching this, right? And the grinding and uh, pain and all of that. Can't even hear it. Just cancel all out. I'm like, oh, they're... You know, look at that line is chasing that wildebeest. Life's not that bad for me. I'm just here getting my teeth clean, you know, and I'm watching this. One of the things, and I say this because one of the episodes that I watched yesterday on the dentist chair was uh, there was, um, they're talking about the depths of the sea. And at a certain point, the light doesn't penetrate deep enough. There's no light. And where there's no light, there's no life. And on my sermon, I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, and I was like, I'm gonna write that down. I was like, that's that's what he's talking about. And everyone knew. Even then, if there is no light and you're in darkness, there's no life. And he gives us life in this way. The third concept, and as it goes with life, how is life delivered? The instrument that is life is given to us is what's called grace. And this is the third implication. It's the concept of grace. And you look at verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. I love that little phrase, grace upon grace. Grace upon grace, the scholars have said. It means uh, grace that's heaped on top of grace, extra grace. Um, Someone said, inexhaustible supply of grace available 24-7. It's always there in abundance. When we think about this picture... That Jesus gives us not just the minimal amount, but he heaps it on us. What a wonderful attribute of God that we get to receive. You know, when you think about um, abundance, right? I, I, for me, I, I'm sure for a lot of us, you can't help but to think about grandma. Grandma's cooking. How grandma makes food for me. 
All right, it's kind of universal. And we have restaurants named after. This is the grandma's kitchen, grandma's restaurant, um, because they give you a lot. You know, I remember uh, going to Korea. I came when I was six, immigrated when I was six. I, I think those of you who've been at church, you know my story. I named myself on the plane. I asked, you know, at the time there was a show called The Six Million Dollar Man. Steve Austin was playing in Korea. I said, can I be Steve when I get to America? My mom said, you can be whatever you want. So that's my name. Some people thought, oh, I thought you were named after the martyr in Acts. No, six million dollar man, right? The bionic man. Um, not as spiritual is my name. But anyway, some years, I get to go back and we're staying at our house and we're staying there in the summer for like a month. And when you're in fifth grade, there's not much to do, especially when grandma, but all my grandma did was asking, was her love language, what, what? are you hungry? Did you sleep well? How are you? Are you? No, are you hungry? And then before I could answer, you look hungry. You must be hungry. So I remember I would wake up and it was a spread, a big table, and I mean, every type of meat and this and that. To the point, really, I barely scratched the surface. I mean, I couldn't eat all of this. This is wasteful in a way. And then she would tidy it up. And then, and then I was like, what are we doing now? You got to go eat lunch. You know, I, there's this place. I got to take you to You must be hungry. I said, no, nah, not really. We got to go to lunch. So we go to lunch. Oh, you must be hungry. He came all the way from America. You must be hungry. Oh, they have food in America, too. Hey, Grandma, what are we doing for dinner? Well, uncle's taking us out to eat. We got to go eat. You know, you can't. By the end of the month, I couldn't fit in any of my pants. I still remember. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And my mom's like, oh, wow. It's like, stop giving them all this. And uh, there's something about grandma giving so much. We experience it here today. And here's a picture that we have. Grace upon grace. Some of us have messed up along the years, and we come back to him. Grace upon grace. Some of us have acted so unlovable towards God. We've just ignored God. God's talking to us. I just have ignored him. And in the moment I go to him, grace upon grace, I'm here. Some of us acted like practically, like an atheist. I act like God doesn't exist. I do what I want to do. I control my life. And then when I need something, I go to him. He shows me grace upon grace. And this is what we see in Christ that he gives to us in this way. And then as, fourthly, as the word comes, fourthly, he sympathizes with us, stands our weaknesses. You look at verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became flesh, he becomes a man, and he dwells among us. That little phrase, he dwelt among us. The scholars will all point out, it literally means he tabernacled. He built a tent it's an Old Testament term that God dwelt in the tabernacle during the time in the wilderness. And they would have to now put up the tent and God would come into the tent and meet them there. And now this is the fulfillment of that. And he now is the tent who is here permanently with us. He is dwelling among us. He is here in the flesh. There's something about that, isn't that? Uh, so those of you who are teenagers, you have problems at school. You got issues. Sometimes uh, the person you want to talk to, you want them to understand what that's like. So you would often go to a peer, go to a classmate. Hey, do you know, man, that person did this. 
that person took a picture on Instagram, didn't put me on that picture, or that person unfollowed me on Instagram, how dare he, right? And you share that. You tell mom or dad, you're like, turn it off, I told you that's bad. No, that's no sympathy there. You don't understand what life is like in ninth grade. A man in midlife crisis can't go to some 20-year-old and say, oh man, this is the stuff I am dealing with. The dreams I've had, the, the wishes I had, it seems like, man, I'm running out of time, and this is what I'm going through. Like, oh, I don't understand. We need someone who understands, and now he is here. He understands. Jesus, as the man, he hungered, he thirsted, he experienced loneliness, he was stabbed in the back, he understands pain, he understands the joys, and so when all of us go to him, he says, I understand you, and he is here in the flesh. And lastly, as he comes, the word is here. Fifthly, as the word is here, we get to now finally know God. And I just wrap up with that thought. He gets, we get to know God. It tells us in verse 14, we have seen his glory. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only one who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. We get to know God. He is here. We get to know God. Um, I love this quote. Richard Phillips says, Jesus' earthly posture, tone of voice, attitude, and reaction to events were those of God. And I love this. God is Christ-like. God is Christ-like. So when we go through the Gospels and you get to see the attributes and the characteristics of Jesus, you say, oh, this is God. This is what God is like. This is the heart of God. Him And approach him in this way. And so we don't take it for granted. Because of Christ, we gather like this as a family, church family, and we sing, and he hears us. Because of Christ, we go and we pray and ask for help, and he says, i walk with you. Through the valley of shadow of death, I'll walk with you, I'm there. We, because of Christ, we could be 13 or 43, we can go to Christ, and he's still there, and he understands. This is the word who has come to us, and he changes everything. May our lives, may your lives be defined by him who has given us life. The word of God, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, today we had communion. We remember the price that was paid. And we remember now the incarnation that the word is here with us. So we take that to heart. It changes everything about us. So God, we hold on to that. Give us that faith today, Lord. I pray for all the families, all the people who are here today. Help us to continually grow in the grace and knowledge of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have a time of worship and offering. And then Pastor John will lead us in uh, corporate prayer. Um, and some of the youth group guys are going to help us out with this, but let's prepare our offering. Let's give at this time.